Good morning. Welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. If we've never met before, my wife Lee and I lead Collective. We're glad that you are with us. I I do want to do something before we get started that is a a continuation of what Kevin was speaking about as he was talking about repentance. I want to just invite each of us to just close our eyes for a moment. And I want to acknowledge the fact that when we come into a room like this, that we have all sorts of noise. We have all sorts of things that are drawing our attention. Maybe it was a phone call we got this week or an email or a difficult day or a difficult relationship or even something as we walk in a lie that we might be believing, that we're not loved by you, that we're, that we're, that we're not enough, that we're inadequate, whatever it is. And I want us just to take a moment and to invite the Holy Spirit to help us to see what that is, and then invite us to, to lay it down before Jesus, to not carry it, to not feel like we have to pretend like it's not there. God, in these moments, would you cause us to see the things that we allow to hold us back? or maybe even the things that were done to us, whether this week or beyond, that cause us to not hear your still, small voice. God, would you speak? Would you guide us into your truth, into all truth? God, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our series called The Early Church, and what we're doing is we're working through the book of Acts, where we see the church that is burst out of what Jesus did. I want you just even to notice the cross in the center of the room. That cross is empty. And so we find the church burst out of significant, a significant moment that split history. That is the, the life, the death, the, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's valuable for us to look at the early church to recognize on one level that we need to continue to look back, to look forward on another level to realize that the early church is also filled with human beings. And we are invited to see ourselves even in the story and recognize we are not the heroes. We love a good story. I love a good story. I love movies that grip you and, and, and keep you. And one of the things that characterizes a movie like that is when we see a character arc. So we see someone at the beginning of the movie who is one way, and then through the the events that happen in the movie, we find at the end they are different. There's something in that. Why? Because it speaks to our desire for growth. Is it possible that maybe I don't have to be who I was? Is it possible that there are opportunities for me to grow and learn and change and be transformed? And when we look at the early church, we see examples of that. We see examples of character arcs where we see people growing. The thing that we often forget is that in order to grow, we have to face difficult things. And not just try to run from the things that are difficult, but instead allow them to shape us. Is it possible that for some of us in the room, we have some difficult things that we're dealing with right now? And while our prayer is God remove them, God's invitation is actually let me redeem them and use them to change you. 
And so there's this sense that you go, I want to grow. I, I don't want to remain the same. And God goes, perfect. How I'm going to do this is through difficulty. And we kind of go, I don't like that process. Could you do it a different way? Like one that doesn't cost me anything and isn't uncomfortable. And he goes, no. And at least the value is we get to look at Scripture and find we're not the only ones. See, what if the difficulty in our life is actually the on-ramp to our growth? Now, we can know that intellectually. Maybe today is an invitation to have it move from our, our intellect, our minds, into our hearts and our hands. Because in this passage that I want to look at, in Acts chapter 4, we see evidence of a character arc. We see it in the lives of Peter, as Peter is with John. And I want to look at a, a good chunk of Acts chapter 4. Maybe you're not super familiar with Peter. Peter is the guy, if you've ever heard about it, he's the guy that when faced and pushed and pressed, he flat out denied Jesus three times. And yet, we find in this story, Peter, when he's pressed and pushed, he does not respond by denying, but responds very differently. In fact, we find in Acts 4 that he, when he's pressed, he actually pushes back. Now, the invitation for us is maybe in the room there are some of us that, that we've pulled back, that we've said, you know what, I want to follow your way, Jesus, in every way, and then we face difficulties, and we went, you know what, it's easier just to stay in my comfort zone, and maybe, just maybe, God is inviting you to step out. But it's also the reminder when we see Peter that the lies that we believe, like I'm too far, I'm too far gone, I've done too much, are, are not true. That God goes, oh, I can use imperfect people that are willing to actually acknowledge that they're imperfect. And I can do significant things through people that think God must be done with me. And I, I want to let you know he's not done with you. That maybe, just maybe today he's inviting you to take another step. But maybe you have to at some level acknowledge the difficulty that I am now facing is actually the opportunity for the very growth I'm asking for. And for us to reframe our thinking. And so in Acts 4, we find Peter and John, two apostles, two disciples, and they're standing before the religious leaders. They're standing before the Jewish religious leaders that hold power over the Jewish community at the time. And as they're standing before this group, Luke, the author of Acts, actually tells us that some of them were Sadducees. Now, we may not know a ton about Jewish customs and groups. There are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we might know those words but not know what they meant. It's important that you understand that one of the distinctives of the Sadducees is they did not believe in resurrection. Now, considering the center point of our faith as Jesus followers is the very bodily resurrection of Jesus, that poses a problem. And so Peter and John are proclaiming the message of Jesus, and yet they are faced by the religious leaders. And they're not a fan of what Peter and John are preaching. And so we find here in Acts 4, verse 3, that as a result of that tension, Peter and John are arrested. We find something really interesting. If you look at Acts 4.4, it says this. But many of the people who heard their message, this very message about Jesus, many of the people who heard their message believed it. 
So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Now notice it said the number of men, so that didn't include women and children. This is a large group of people that responded, that heard this message of Jesus and gave their life to it. And yet, Peter and John, as a result of that, find themselves where? In prison. And so they've just proclaimed the message of Jesus. And while they wait in prison, lives are being changed. It's an interesting story even to reframe our vision of success. Because this doesn't look like how we define success in North America. In North America, how we define success is if I do something, I see immediately results and it's easier and better. And that has shaped and formed and deformed us as followers of the way of Jesus as we actually live our life and realize that is not the archetype we see. Instead, what we find is Peter and John doing exactly what they're supposed to do. People responding, amen, and they get thrown in prison. It confronts and challenges, again, our view of what success actually looks like. And so if you are doing what God asks you to do and facing difficulty, I'm here to let you know that maybe you're in great company because this is actually the pattern that we see all throughout Scripture. As we step out in faith and obedience, it does not, the promise is not that it'll be easier. In fact, the invitation is it may even get more and more difficult. And so Peter and John are waiting in jail. And the council of the religious leaders at the time, they met together. We find in Acts 4, verse 7, it says, They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you, And to the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom Jesus, or whom God raised from the dead. Now notice even this line, and this line would have been biting, where he's saying, you killed him, and yet God raised him. In fact, we actually find this in Acts three different times. This this reminder, Peter says these things exactly. You killed him. He's looking at the people that sentenced him to death. You killed him, and yet God raised him. Now, again, if the Sadducees who don't believe in resurrection are listening, they are not happy about this. This is a central message of Jesus. And then he continues in verse 11, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then we find in verse 13 a verse that I want us to spend a little bit of time on. And it says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So this group of people 
They were antagonistic to the message of Jesus, were face-to-face with two men, and they were amazed. Why? Well, Luke tells us that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And for some of us, we, we confuse boldness with obnoxiousness, volume level. And they weren't amazed by the volume level of Peter and John. They were amazed by the confidence and courage that clearly came from Jesus. They were amazed by this boldness demonstrated by these men in the face of a situation that for many of us would cause us to shrink back. And instead, Peter and John, filled by the Holy Spirit, step up. And the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Now, in the culture of the day, the only people that were able to preach and teach were the rabbis, the teachers of the law, the ones that were specially educated, that had special titles, that were honored by culture. And so for this council of rabbis and religious leaders, it it doesn't make sense to them. How can these ordinary men carry this kind of authority? They're looking at ordinary men explaining and proclaiming a message with extraordinary power. And so in a scenario where they would perceive these men to be weak, in fact, through God, they are strong. And it's important for us to understand, and even just to consider the implications for our own life, that Peter and John couldn't rely on carefully curated arguments, well-placed things that they had thought about in advance, that they had perfectly curated that would compel and convince. Instead, they actually had to rely on the Holy Spirit giving them words. They, in their dependence, had to go, we need you to be the one that speaks because we can't get through to people like you can. And I do want to remind those of us in the room that have this lie in our head that if I just know more, am educated more, then maybe I will be more bold. There is nothing wrong with education. I value education. But education itself does not lead to boldness. Instead, what education does is it, it, it gives us a chance to see, oh, there's more to this. But if you're in the room and you go, if I just knew more, then maybe I would do more, chances are that's not true. Instead, the invitation is for us, like Peter and John, to be ordinary people that go, God, I need you, but I'll go where you ask me to go, even in the face of difficulty. I'm willing to say the things that you need me to say, even when I feel incredibly afraid. Because here's what I can tell you. I have my master's degree, and yet when I'm stepping out in faith, I feel every bit of inadequacy and every bit of the reminder that I, by myself, don't have enough. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough knowledge. Outside of God actually speaking through me in spite of my weakness and using it to redeem the moment by his strength, I have nothing. And so instead, it causes us to go, God, I need you. Instead, for people to see and be amazed that, that, that we're ordinary people, ordinary people that have been impacted by Jesus. Because we find even in the next part of verse 13, they recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. 
the religious leaders. They couldn't make sense of all of this. Because you have to remember, they were the group that tried to kill Jesus. So they're like, we tried to squash this movement. We, we tried to get rid of what had happened. We tried to, we even murdered the leader, and yet how are these guys stepping out like this in boldness? How are they living like this? They couldn't deny that something miraculous had happened. That this, these men that were bold and ordinary also were men that had been with Jesus. Now as a church, this is why we say we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. He is the one we want people to see, not us. He is the one that is at the center of every single thing that we do. All the decisions that we make and our heart posture as we seek to serve him. It all, it's all about Jesus. And it's important to understand that we would believe that boldness in our life actually comes as an overflow from being with Jesus. By spending time with him. And for some of us, we have this thing in our mind of going, yeah, I want to be more and more bold. I want to be used by God. And yet, we don't spend time with him. Here we find a couple of diagnostic questions that should develop a little bit in our hearts. Where we consider, okay, one, do people see boldness in me? Like the people that I'm around on a regular basis, do they see boldness in my life? Would they characterize that? Or do they look and I look like everybody else? Or fill in the blank. Do people see boldness in me? And again, just for you to recognize, not everyone is, I'm loud. If you spend time with Lee, she's not. Boldness is not volume. It's not whether you're outgoing or not. Instead, boldness is a response to who we know that we are and who we belong to. Boldness is a different posture of life. Do people see boldness in your life? And second, do others recognize me as being someone who has been with Jesus? Now, I recognize, obviously, we can't physically experience being face-to-face with Jesus like Peter and John would have, but we are given something he says is even better. And so when people are around us, do they recognize us as people that have been with Jesus, that are consistently being with Jesus? Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, through our awareness of Jesus at work, as we read his words, we can actually be present with him, with his words, with his work, with his presence. We can actually be with Jesus. What does that look like for us? What might it look like for us to be with Jesus? Some of the ways that we might do that, prayer. And I I think for some of us, prayer can be really difficult, or just me. Because sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm praying, and I'm I'm trying to pray in my head quietly, and then my brain is like, I'm really hungry now. What's that sound? What are the kids doing? Why did it get so quiet? Whatever it is, all this distraction. And, and one of the things that I've learned is that I can actually pray out loud. I know, shocker. And so I'd be driving sometimes, and I'd just pray out loud as if I was having a conversation with God. And it, and it helped me. Because it didn't feel like something intellectual in my head that I just sit there. But instead, it felt like a bit of a conversation. For us, prayer can be that conversation or 
I was at a conference, Lee and I were at a conference, and one of the things that one of the pastors led in was, was prayer through silence and contemplation. And so what he actually did, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just invite us to do for a moment. So I want you to close your eyes right now. Close your eyes right now. And I want you just to, to imagine that Jesus is actually here. And I want you just in your mind, every single time you find yourself drifting to whatever is worrying you, whatever thing is distracting you, just to, to say again, Jesus, here I am. The truth is, every single time we have any kind of moments of silence, we get uncomfortable. And we're like, how short are they going to be? You can open your eyes. I, I want you just to recognize maybe, just maybe, the invitation for you is this week to create space where you're still and silent. And maybe it's 30 seconds, and maybe it's 30 minutes where you just say, Jesus, here I am. I'm here with you for you Show up and guide me however you see fit. And maybe what he'll do is just remind you I'm here. And maybe he'll speak. And maybe he'll draw you to scripture. I don't, I don't know. But what would it look like for us to resist the tendency to go, 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 do, 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 achieve, achieve. And instead to stop and, and actually carve out space to be with Jesus. What would it look like for us to engage with scripture differently. I think for so many of us, we go, oh, I should do that. I should do that. And we just don't do that. What would it look like for us to start our day with some silence, with prayer, and with God's words? What would it look like to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and actually consider, is it possible that some of our views of Jesus are not based on scripture, but on other things? What would it look like for us to actually picture what it might be like to be in the story and and not be the hero but instead be the ones going hey do i get the 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 ultimate seat here hey do i get the the good stuff and and for us to recognize you know jesus is the hero we are not and to read scripture through a different perspective what would it look like for us to actually study god's words and not to just know more but to know him better I think for so many of us, we have these lofty intentions of going, yeah, I want to live my life set apart, and yet the, the disciplines in our life or the practices are not leading us in that direction. And so what would it look like to reframe? Now, now, just as an aside, let me just say, I'm not saying you should do, for my overachievers, I won't, even, I won't get you to put up your hands, but my overachievers in the room that are like, I'm going to spend 17 hours this week in study and quiet contemplation. I'm going to prove to God that I can do, and then you don't do any of it. It's like the, the New Year's resolution. But instead, just to recognize, okay, if you're, if you're like me and you're outgoing and you're social, you need to pull back and create some space to be alone and silent. If you're the introvert and you're, you're like, you know what, I'd rather just be silent by myself, maybe what you need to do is you need to study scripture with other people. Maybe you need to embrace Sabbath. Sabbath has been something that we have integrated for Lee and I. We integrate into our family that we spend 24 hours stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. 
And I would be a liar if I told you that that has been easy. We have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. Do you think our five-year-old and seven-year-old want to spend half an hour in, in quiet contemplation? No. <laughs> They're like, what else are we doing? And so we would have it. We're like, we're going to go for Sabbath. We're going to go for a nice meal. And then inevitably meltdown city at the restaurant. And we're like, this is supposed to be restful. And instead, what we're identifying, what does it look like for them to see us embracing this rhythm of actually resting? Maybe it's not this vision of what we thought we would go out to. Maybe it's eating at home but being present with them. Maybe it's talking about what God's saying to us. Maybe it's going and taking a walk and actually delighting in God's creation. For us to set aside time to restore our souls is essential. And the lie of culture is distract, distract, do, do, do. And God's instead inviting us to recognize there is a rhythm to creation. Six days of work, one day of rest. And God's saying, I can do more with your six days that are surrendered to me than you can by just gritting your teeth and trying to do more. And so for us in that to create margin and space to be with Jesus, I just want you to picture for a second. If there are people that are around us and we know anxiety is high, busyness is high, depression is high, if people were around Christians that had a peace to them, that, that demonstrated peace that surpasses understanding, do you not think that they would look at us and go, what is different about you? Because they would see Jesus at work in us. They would see us as people who had spent time with Jesus. Are we cultivating that? Do people see us as bold? And do people recognize that we have been with Jesus? It's important that we recognize in the context of community that that is hard. That pushes against the grain of what we see around us, and yet that is the way of Jesus. In community, we resist the tendency toward distraction and busyness and instead create space every single day and once a week to, to, to create margin to go, I want to be with you, Jesus. I want you to tell me who I am. I want to begin my day by having all the lies that I believe confronted by your words. I want to create space to recognize that I need to live out of my identity in you, not to try to get something to make me feel good enough. And we do that, why? Like at some level, why are we actively spending time with Jesus? It's partially because we want people to see him at work in our lives. But honestly, it's because actually following Jesus will cost us. And we desperately need the kind of reservoir of resilience and the tanks that can handle the difficulties that will come our way. If we know whose we are, who we belong to, if our identity is secure, if we spend time with Jesus, if we're with Jesus, then when life happens as it will, as we find in Scripture, we are able to handle it going, God, you told me this is what would happen. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. And you go, okay, I'm with you in it. We find this in Peter and John where they're facing difficulties, doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Why do we think we are different? 
And yet they're able to deal with what they are dealing with because they have been with Jesus. And after Jesus had ascended, they had still cultivated a rhythm of being with Jesus, of relying actively on the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter and John are facing these religious leaders that don't really know what to do with them. They're like, we tried killing the leader, and so they start to threaten Peter and John. They're trying to squash the movement. They're like, hey, you guys need to stop. You need to stop talking about this. We want to prevent any of this from spreading. And Peter and John are faced with the same decision that we are faced with on a daily basis. Do I want to please people or do I want to please God? Now, Peter and John have it very clearly. They are face-to-face with people that are like, stop telling people about the message of Jesus. We have it, it's a little bit more insidious. In our life, every single moment, we have an invitation to go, am I going to do what everyone else wants me to do, or am I going to do what God wants me to do? Am I going to live to please people or please God? Now, I want you to look at what happens in Acts 4, verse 18. The religious leaders called the apostles back in and commanded them to never again... Never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And then Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Like I just just imagined this scenario. Like they're thinking, it's a group of people. This council is not small. And they're like, we're we're probably going to make Peter and John sit. We're going to stand up. We're going to really intimidate it. We're going to yell, threaten. And Peter and John are like, um... Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Now, think about this. This is, this is not just like one of those where you're like, oh, that's a good moment. This actually could be them. Religiously has tried to kill their leader. This could very easily mean their loss of life. And, and yet there is this sense of, listen, for whatever time I have left, whatever time we have left, we're going to obey God rather than people. And we see the choice that they make. The choice that they make is that God is at the very center. God is telling them who they are. God is the one who defines what success looks like. God is the one who actually gets to guide them in every area of their life. They will live to please God, and they will only obey God. And then in verse 20, we find what I would consider to be the mic drop line. Verse 20, they say in response, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. We can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. This is the invitation for those of us that follow the way of Jesus. That faced with a cultural tendency of keep it to yourself, keep it private, just just." Just shuffle it down and just, you're, you know, that's just a part of who you are. Just keep that at home. Instead, what Peter and John say, we can't stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. And I wonder for those of us that would call ourselves followers of the way of Jesus, what have we seen? I mean, sitting up with the panel last week, it was so encouraging because I see people that have seen God at work. And there's this sense when God has done something in your life, you don't keep it to yourself. You don't just go, you know what, that was a nice little coincidence, I'll just keep it. Instead, you go, I I can't deny that, and I can't stop telling people about what I've seen. Or what about you've heard what you've heard? 
Maybe as you've read scriptures, there's been times that God has spoken to you. I've had times, one when we were about to plant this church, that I was like, I don't know how this can possibly happen. And I went for a, a drive, and I had my Bible, and I would not advocate for just grabbing your Bible and flipping it open to a random, a random page, because I just don't know. God, God's not like, a, like a, a slot machine where you're like, come on, God, give me something good. But I broke my rule, and I opened up the Bible to this random place. And the lie in my head is, this is not going to work. This is not going to happen. You're never going to plant this church. What if so-and-so blocks it? What if? And then I read this passage in Revelation, and it says, whatever door God opens can't be closed, and whatever door God closes can't be opened. And I went, okay. I mean, for us to actually hear from God. And what did that do for me? That didn't make me go, I'm the greatest leader. I was like, God is the one who is opening doors. And so I can't stop telling people about what I have heard as God has spoken to us, as God has spoken to me. And for us as Jesus followers, we have seen things and heard things. And what does it look like for us to actually tell other people about them? Or do we just keep it to ourselves? I mean, even just to think in your own life, what do you know to be true about Jesus? And who have you shared it with? In comparison to a culture that says keep it to yourself, what does it look like for us to see people that don't yet know Jesus and and they're lost kids that are looking for something that only God can offer? And he goes, I'm going to send you I'm going to send you to tell people about what I have taught you. And we go, maybe later. Because it's, it's hard, and it's inconvenient, and I have to risk something. And instead, we find in Peter and John a different way that should compel us and convict us. To live lives of actual boldness with our faith. Jonathan Edwards has this quote. He says, There is a false boldness for Christ that only comes from pride. A man may rashly expose himself to the world's dislike and even deliberately provoke its displeasure and yet do so out of pride. Now, even that, this is like, it's very Canadian for us to go, I don't want to offend anyone. But if our goal is offending just to somehow make ourselves feel better, that's the wrong heart. Instead, we say that it, we find Jonathan Edwards saying, true boldness for Christ transcends all of it. It is indifferent to the displeasure of either friends or foes. Boldness enables Christians to forsake all rather than Christ and to prefer to offend all rather than to offend him. So it's not about going and just offending people to somehow feel better. It's about going, I'll do everything that he asks me to do. I would rather offend everyone else than offend God himself. I would rather offend everyone else than offend Jesus himself. We find in Peter and John, we cannot, we have to obey God. We cannot obey you. We can't stop telling about everything that we've seen and heard. I think for some of us, when it comes to boldness, we, we think in our aspiration, yeah, I'd love to be more bold. I'd love to live lives more, that are more bold. And, and what we understand is that true boldness as Jesus followers is actually in situations that require boldness. And that is difficult things. 
Now, now I keep circling back because, again, I think we are being formed to think following Jesus should make everything better. And there are some things that it makes better, but the ultimate better is when we are in heaven. In the middle, when we're on earth, it's sometimes more difficult. And we go, I want boldness. I, I often don't pray for patience because I know how God produces it. He puts me in situations where I have to be patient. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be more. I just want you to make me magically more patient. And he goes, I'm going to make you wait. You go, I don't like this. Now, I think boldness is similar. I think if we are praying for boldness, we're actually praying a dangerous prayer where God goes, I'm going to put you in some situations that it's going to require boldness. I'm going to put you in some places that it's going to be difficult. And you're going to see me at work, but it's going to cost you. I think that's the invitation for us. I think for us today to go, I I want boldness. I want to live a life of boldness, and I'm willing to actually walk into places that is going to require boldness. See, let's just be really honest. We are down in the States, and you realize, I was talking to some of my pastor friends there, and I said, in some ways in Canada, we're coming to you from the future, because they're down in Alabama. So it's like, it's like 20 years behind in terms of what we are experiencing around the church. Some of that has sped up. I say that to remind you, for us in the room, following Jesus in 2023 in North America and in Canada specifically is harder. I'm not suggesting that we have it nearly as, as difficult as people in China or Iran or Iraq or in areas where it could actually cost you your life. But I am telling you it's harder now than it was 15 years ago, and it's harder now than it was 30 years ago. And so for us, we start to feel some of that. Like, it just seems a little harder. It seems like I'm feeling more pressure to keep my, my public or my faith private and keep it to myself. I, I feel like I'm pushed back on more increasingly we're seen as Jesus followers to be more antiquated, more exclusive. We have people that are saying, you know what, we value all the other religions, but not Christianity. So if you could just stop. We feel some of that. So there's the external challenges that we are facing that I think require boldness. And then there's the internal stuff that we are facing, where we are being shaped by and formed by technology and social media and all the other things that we take in. And we go, I'm so busy, I don't have time to spend time with God, but I have tons of time for all the other stuff. To distract myself. To busy myself. And and our lives are being changed and formed and warped. We live in a culture that says, we're moving beyond this Jesus thing. And yet we have higher rates of anxiety, lower rates of satisfaction, and more and more of a, more and more evidence of people that desperately need Jesus. And so in a situation where it is more difficult, I do believe that boldness is required. I believe that as a whole, that in the church that God is actually creating an environment with which we desperately need to lead with boldness. And as we are invited to actually pray for boldness, I just want to remind you again, means more difficulty. If we want to be bold, it means being put in situations where we actually come to the end of ourselves. Peter and John are bold. They're in prison. They come face to face with the council and 
Their, their life is in the hands of these men who are, ant, are, are, are against them. And yet, because of their boldness, the religious leaders is like, we, we're not sure what to do with this. We weren't expecting this. We thought you kind of just backed down. And they're like, we don't want to start a riot, so we're just going to let them go free. And what Peter and John did is they went back to their community. And they went back to their community of early followers of the way of Jesus, and they told them what had happened. And I love the early church's response when they come in and they share. These are, this is how they've been threatening us, and they actually doubled down on, our, on their threats. You know how the early church responded? With prayer. Faced with difficulty, faced with challenges, faced with resistance, they prayed. And what did they pray for? In, in Acts 4, verse 29, and now they're praying. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. So they're not praying to remove the difficulty, which, if I'm being very honest, would be my prayer. God, make it easier right now. I don't like this. Make it so it's simpler. I'm doing what you asked me to do. No, the early church, they shame me in by saying, God, make us more bold in the face of whatever we are dealing with. Make us more bold in proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the hope for all of humanity to those around us. Help us to live like the hope that we have is actually true. And then they pray in verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power. The whole reason that Peter and John were in trouble is because they saw someone and they, he, they saw him be healed. They were part of him being healed in the name of Jesus. And so they're saying, we want more boldness and we want more miracles. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're asking for undeniable signs and evidence of God's power. Is that our prayer today? I mean, increasingly as I read this, I am convicted and challenged to go, what does it look like for us as a church to take a step in the right direction? For those of us that are saying there's a part of us that wants to be bold, and yet, if we're being really honest, is afraid. Like you go, I know what God's inviting us into, and I believe that the hope of the future is bright, and yes, and yet I, I, I'm very aware that it will cost us and just cost me. And yet, when I look back at my life, what kind of life do I want to live? I want so much more than boldness in our own circumstances, in our own abilities. I want God's power on display. I want to proclaim the message of Jesus and have people come to faith that I know I did not do. I want a church of people that are willing to actually do that in their own life because I believe that the future of the church is not one guy on the stage or a handful of people on the stage, but the church mobilized to be the church. I believe that each of you have specific people in your life that God's going, if you would just pray for a little bit more boldness and step out, these people would come to faith in me. And for some of us, we go, I'm afraid. And he goes, that's okay. Bring your fear and do it anyway. Like maybe for some of us, we actually have to just come to God and go, I'm afraid. And he goes, I know. 
I just, I, I need you to know that I, I actually am not, I'm not looking at you with your fear and going, yeah, you're really messed up. I'm saying bring your fear and let me be strong in your weakness. Maybe for some of us we go, I want boldness, but God, I'm resisting the areas that are difficult in my life. Maybe instead it's about, not, it's about us reframing our prayers and saying, God, don't remove it, but use it and make me more and more bold so that other people could hear about your message, Jesus. We find in verse 31 after this prayer that the early church prays this sincere and clearly powerful prayer. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness, almost like God answered their prayers. And so in the midst of difficulty, What does it look like for us to actually pray for boldness? Boldness that costs us. What's the invitation? Even right now, for you as an individual, what is God inviting you into? See, maybe there's a part of it that is he's inviting you to actually spend more more and more time with Jesus. And in your mind, you're like, I need to spend more and more time with Jesus. And when I've spent enough time with Jesus, then I'll do something. And I go, no, no, they're the, they're the same coin, just different sides. Maybe you need to spend time with Jesus and live a life that is pleading for boldness. I wonder if we actually looked in our life and considered the people that are around us that don't yet know Jesus, if we'd recognize that that group of people is far larger. And if we thought about the people that are around us, and we pictured one of them coming to faith, I think it would cause us to become more and more bold. What would it look like to begin, to take steps? I want us as a church to have a few moments and actually pray for boldness. And I want to remind you that boldness in Peter and in John and in the early church, it didn't come from human effort. It wasn't there like, I am going to be bolder. It came from a dependence on the Holy Spirit a deep desire to be bold in their weakness and the Holy Spirit moving in their midst. And so I wonder for us and for you, what's holding you back in your life right now from living a life that is more bold? What is the thing that's holding you back? Is it, is it the lie of, if I just knew a little bit more, then I would do something? Or is, is it that you honestly, you can't, Pour out from a cup that's empty and you're recognizing, I I need to be with Jesus. Is it a fear of people or a fear of God? Is Is it something that is happening where you're recognizing, you know what, I'm afraid of what people are going to think. Do you maybe need to get to the end of yourselves? Are you getting closer and closer to desperate? I look at the early church and I see ordinary people that were desperate and willing to do whatever God asks. I, I think maybe in North America and specifically in Canada that God's getting us closer to that. And that's a beautiful thing that I don't want to miss out on. And so I'd love to just, I'd love to invite you to close your eyes right now. And I'd love to, add, to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit even right now, God, What is holding me back and what are you trying to say? Where are you trying to get my attention?
I want to invite you to stand up. You can keep your eyes closed. Stand up. your eyes closed if you're if you're in the room and and you want to just acknowledge you know what i i want more boldness if you're sensing that that's where you're at would you just with your eyes closed just put up your hand will you put up your hand and say i want more boldness i want to just acknowledge how significant it is when we take steps even with our bodies of responding with our postures I want to pray, I want to pray the prayer from Acts 4, 29 to 31. And then I, I, what I'd love to do, or 29 to 30, and then what I'd love to do is, is actually just let you know the prayer team is going to come up after the service and would love to pray for you and with you. And if you need a prayer for boldness, if you're dealing with something and you recognize I need to step out of where I'm at and be joined in community for prayer, we would love for you to do that. But I want to pray this for everyone who has put up their hand the, the prayer of the early church, and now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, God, give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, would you move in our midst Holy Spirit, would you direct each one of us to recognize what you are inviting us into? God, may it not be my words that reverberate through someone's mind, but instead your words that cut to the heart. God, I think about the people that are in London that don't yet know you and the reason that we planted this church. God, would you give us each eyes to see your kids that you love that are wandering and far from you, that need you. God, would you speak against the lies that we believe that at some point we'll be ready to do that and instead risk it and go where you're asking us to go. God, would you help us to live lives that please you and not please people. God, would you break into our rhythms of comfort and complacency and do something significant that only you can take credit for. God, would you forgive us for the times that we have settled for playing church and instead would you help us to be the church? God, I pray that people would see us as ordinary people who have clearly been with Jesus. People that are marked by boldness and courage. And in the midst of a, a culture where it may be more difficult to follow you, may we do it gladly. God, you know where each one of us are at. We need you. God, I need you. Build your church. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name.